0: Yeah, we're starting in chapter 42. Last time we saw the famous story of Pharaoh's dream, the seven uh, very fat showstopper cows uh, being consumed by the seven that were gaunt and ugly, and the seven full lush ears on a stalk of corn uh, being replaced by seven withered, dried up, scorched ears. And Pharaoh's frustrated, can't find an interpreter for his dreams. The cupbearer decides to speak up and talks about how two years earlier he met this Hebrew in prison that was able to interpret dreams for him and for the baker, and this interpretation was right on target. And so Joseph is brought to Pharaoh, he interprets the dream, explains the seven years of plenty that are coming, as well as the seven years of famine that are to follow. But he doesn't stop with that dream. He goes on to say to Pharaoh, it would be good if Pharaoh would appoint a wise man to take charge and appoint overseers to gather food and store it during the abundance in order that during the famine the country would not perish. Pharaoh likes the idea and appoints Joseph to that role. And the people around endorse that. And Joseph now is second only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. He speaks on behalf of Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives him his a wife, Aneseth Aseneth, the daughter of a prominent son-worshipping prophet in a prominent city. He has all the trappings of power. He has the gold chain. He has the signet ring. He has the responsibility of riding in the second chariot. And so here is Joseph uh, really established and in the coming period of time he has two sons Manasseh he names forgetful because out of all this he has said I have forgotten his mistreatment and I've forgotten my father's house and Ephraim who is fruitful because now he is fruitful and the chapter ends up by saying that everything happened just as Joseph said and so the seven years of plentiful occurred and they stored up foodstuffs grain in particular till it was so much they couldn't even count it all and it was stored for the coming famine and then Joseph personally would be the one to sell the grain and food to the Egyptians as well as people from foreign lands and that takes us to Genesis chapter 42 as we continue in seeing how God is putting together these events these are not chance events these are the things that God is doing so let's begin in Genesis 42 by reading the first five verses. And I would ask for a volunteer to do that.
1: When Jacob learned oh, Jacob. that there was grain for sale <laughs> in Egypt. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yep. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan.
0: So uh, Jacob basically uh, uses his probably his own vernacular, but we might say today, well, what are you going to do? Nothing? I mean, you're just sitting there staring at each other. You got something to eat? No? Well, what are you going to do about it? And so Jacob, it says here, it used the word saw later. word you hear the word heard. But Jacob was aware there's grain in Egypt. And so he's looking at his sons. These are not children. The youngest, we'll find out before we're done, is probably 30 plus They have families, they have responsibilities, but obviously they're there in the house of Jacob and nothing's happening. And so he asked them a question. Why are you staring at one another? And so uh, he told them about the fact, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Let's go buy some. Apparently the famine had overwhelmed them to the point they were just dumbfounded. They had kind of semi-given up. They felt helpless. I don't know. But... um, he he directs them to go buy some grain that we might live and not die. And so they are starving to death literally and if they'd taken no action that's how it would have turned up. But we turn out but we can remember are these poor folk? No, they're extremely wealthy as compared to their neighbors. They they consume large amounts of grain and ground in order to try to feed their flocks and so on. They uh, not to their credit, but they'd looted a city in their past. And so here they are uh, with means, but not doing anything. And so we see in verse 3 that 10 of the brothers of Joseph went to Egypt to buy grain. If we were trying to slice and dice this with our words, we might say today 10 half-brothers, right? because they all share the same father but the only son that shared full parentage with Joseph was Benjamin and we'll hear in a moment that he didn't get to go or wasn't sent but so we've got 10 brothers of Joseph that are going to be going to buy grain and in verse 4 we find out it's only 10 because Joseph is not willing to send Benjamin. Why was he not willing to send Benjamin? might come to harm. So he thought the other ten were invincible? No, there's a movie with the right title for them. They were expendable. In other words, whether we would endorse it or not, here is Jacob at home going, okay, you guys, we need some grain. Oh, by the way, this is going to be dangerous, so Benjamin's staying here. And why is Benjamin staying here? It's voiced in the text. I don't know that Jacob voiced it. But it's voiced because he was afraid something would happen to Benjamin. This is Joseph's full brother. This is the only child out of Rachel that's still with him, he believes, is still alive. And that's special to him. And so here are these brothers of of Joseph who are still seeing favoritism uh, for the children of Rachel. And so you guys go down there. You take the risk. You come back. The the little brother will stay here with me. Now that little brother, in my research, it I got different numbers but not very much different. It's probably thirty years old. And later we're going to see when we move the family down to Egypt, and I'm not going to steal very much from that, but he has ten children when they move to Egypt. So this he's a family man. He's grown up. He's a he's a he's a full grown responsible head of his own part of the family and but yet jacob's protecting him he doesn't want to take a chance with him so in verse 5 we see the ten sons set out for egypt to buy grain and that fam- the famine was indeed in canaan um, last time we talked about the detailed level of what god did with joseph And how did it cover a lot of years? And there were a lot of specific things, but we saw the sovereignty of God being exercised, right? And so God has brought now a famine on the whole land. And did he have other purposes that he met? Well, we don't know. Well, we get to know is what he gives us in his word. But here is a, I don't know if you want to say worldwide, regional wide. This is a huge famine that God is bringing about on the land as a part of him seeing his purposes fulfilled. And we'll talk maybe more about this at the end. We'll see how it works out. But who is it obvious to that this is God's plan and what he's putting together here? Do you think Jacob knows this is something God is doing to drive him and his family to Egypt? No. No. Do you think there are some Egyptians that might know? Well, there might be one or two, particularly if we start in Pharaoh's household, because he received an interpretation from Joseph that affirmed this is what God, Elohim, is doing, and he's making it clear what he's going to do. That's why, and he gave you the dream twice because it's going to happen soon and so Pharaoh if he was paying attention might have a bit of an idea Joseph probably has a bit of an idea but but the things that they're going to know are are very much focused in the tunnel vision right because what do they know there's a famine coming do they know that this is part of God's plan for how he's going to push his people his new nation that's coming out of this family of 12 brothers into Egypt no so it's it's pretty amazing what's going on here and the perspective that we get to see because we're seeing it after the fact with the word of God showing us the big picture but so much of what God God does is unseen by the people involved particularly in its fullness well let's go any questions or comments so far okay let's read verses 6 through 17.
2: Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he, yet he said to them, "No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land." But they said, "Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and no one, uh, and one is no longer alive." Jesus said to them, "It is I. It is as I said to you. You are spies." By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether they, there is truth in them. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, you <coughs> surely are spies. To what?
0: 17.
2: Okay. so he put them all together in prison for three days.
0: All right, so we picked the story up from Joseph's side. He's the ruler over all Egypt. Uh, He's the one selling the grain to anybody that chooses to buy it. And his brothers came, and they bowed to the ground. Why did they bow to the ground? Because he was the most powerful. Yeah, they're in front of a very powerful person. In effect, what is their position? Are they... Does the, land, does the government of Egypt owe them the right to buy grain? No. So in effect, they're beggars, aren't they? Now, I don't wanna, I don't wanna put too strong of a label on it, but they're, they're in the presence of someone with great power mm-hmm. over the food that they want to buy. And they have to appeal to this person, Joseph, and treat him with the utmost of respect and do things in such a manner that they don't offend him don't give him cause to deny selling them the grain that they need in order to survive and so here they are bowing down to Joseph now there's 10 not 11 and not his father at this point in time but in verse 7 we see that Joseph when he saw them he recognized them and so when they when he saw them could they probably see him we don't know but probably but as he came into their presence he came in disguise now he was probably pretty well disguised already because he's dressed as an Egyptian powerful person in the ways of Egypt one of the things that occurred back when Pharaoh made him second in command was he put a gold chain around his neck so he's there dressed very differently than the last time they saw him, which was undressed, right? They stripped him and threw him in the, in, the, in the pit. And so Joseph doesn't have a lot of time right then to plan how he's going to handle them. But when he sees them, how does he speak to them? Harshly. He's not exactly um, encouraging them to feel good about the situation and he actually takes it to the point of accusation. What does he accuse them of? Spying. Spying. Was that probably a common thing in Egypt at the time? I mean we're guessing here but they are, they are the ones in the world with food right? And so he says, you're out here looking for our weaknesses. And, and people who are starving, will they do whatever it takes to try to get something to eat? Certainly. It's, it's like a person who's drowning will do whatever they can to get out of their situation of drowning in the water. They'll grasp at anything. And indeed, there probably may well have been. We don't know, and I'm not trying to say for certain we know. But probably was a lot of spying going on. But he says, oh, you're spies. Now, did he know they weren't spies? Yeah, he's, uh, he's using his position and their awkward situation to mess with them a little bit. Uh, one of the things that we don't know, had Joseph been planning a future meeting with his family? Had he been scheming for a long time about how he would handle it if it ever happened? Well, we don't know. And the way he does this, I kind of doubt it. There's another reason that I doubt it, because when he named his son forgetful and he talked about that's in the past, I've forgotten the ways I was mistreated and the situation in my father's house. I don't think he spent a lot of time stewing about how he could get even. But here they are, and his first question is, where have you come from? And what is their answer? Huh? Land of Canaan. Canaan. Now, did he know the answer before he asked the question? Yeah. Why? Well, he's got to treat them like strangers, number one. Number two, um, in Egypt, his family has a history with not not including Joseph, but Abraham lied a few times in Egypt didn't he lied once really big time I mean would they try to spin some story to try to get on his good side no they just simply answered his question in verse 8 again it says that Joseph realized who they were but they did not recognize him in verse 9 when they're bowing down Joseph remembers the dreams I think it would have been hard to not Remembering the dream, seeing them bowing down, go so you didn't think it would actually happen, huh? Mm -hmm. Here you are. But he didn't do that. Is the dream now fully fulfilled? Nope. Uh, The first dream isn't fulfilled because there's a brother missing, right? The second dream, parents are missing. Verse 9, Joseph, your spies. You come to find our weaknesses, find our undefended portions of our land. And they said, no, my Lord. Now, that that language, you're not trying to make Joseph up as a god, but that's that's the title for you. You're the master of the situation. You're in charge. We're deferring to you in that regard, showing you deference. No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. And they go ahead to explain things a little bit. Clearly they didn't know who Joseph was. We are sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants are not spies. Were they honest men? What was that? Give me some examples of their dishonesty. A couple of huge ones out there.
3: They lied to their dad.
0: They lied to their dad about?
3: Joseph.
0: Yeah. The biggest lie they told concerning Joseph, he may not even be aware of. He may not know what story they told dad when they got home. Um, But it's fairly obvious they did whatever it was wasn't going to be truthful. Joseph probably could figure that out. But there was another time they were very deceptive. You remember? How did they handle? I forgot the name of the town, but their sister Dinah yeah. Oh, yeah, you can marry our sister, but you're going to have to be circumcised first. Oh, and by the way, while you're healing up, we're going to cut your throats. Um, they didn't bother with the last part. Uh, and then they looted the city. There was just two of them that really did the murdering. But uh, so Joseph might have had some interesting thoughts about their statements. Oh, yeah, we're honest men. I can even, you know, we don't get Joseph's thought process here. It would be so fun to have it. God didn't see that it was necessary, but but it would be... Very interesting to know what Joseph thought of those answers. Um, but Joseph just sticks with his accusation. Nope, you've come to see our undefended parts of our land. And so they give him more information. We, your servants, are twelve brothers, son of one man in Canaan. Behold, the youngest is with our father right now, and one is dead. And they are talking to the one they just said was dead so they have proven their dishonesty uh, right in front of Joseph to Joseph's face we told dad you were dead we're telling you you're dead um, and so I can just imagine how that sounded to Joseph oh really so that's the line you took yeah I'm a dead man now in verse 14 Joseph sticks with his accusation is as, as I've said you're spies verse 15 he says we're going to test you And he says, by the life of Pharaoh, meaning with the authority of Pharaoh, this is an official test of Pharaoh's kingdom. I'm number two, and it is out of Pharaoh's authority. You shall not go from here unless your youngest brother comes here. And he tells them how they're going to handle it. Send one of you to get your brother, in verse 16, while you, the rest, remain confined. This will be a test of your claims your honesty, we'll find out about it, we'll see if there is truth in you, but if not by the life of Pharaoh you are spies. Now what do you suppose the consequences are going to be if Joseph determines they're spies? Do spies normally get to live? No, I'm sure they're afraid for their lives. Uh, I don't know that that was the penalty in Egypt but it's been the penalty in most situations in the world, you come to spy us out, uh, spies are not not going to be given the choice to live. Now Joseph already knows they're not spies, right? So this is part of his way of pushing them into a corner. And is Joseph being entirely honest? No. No. He's, he's, he's accusing them of things he knows or not very probable in being true. But verse 17, so he's told them what's going to happen. One's staying, the rest are going, you're bringing back your younger brother or you're all spies. So nine hostages, one messenger, and we'll see how it works out. Um, And so he put them in prison for three days. So he didn't even give them a chance to decide to go or not go right then, he just threw them in the prison. And on the third day, Joseph gets his brothers out of prison. And he modifies things a little bit. Oops, I skipped. Hang on. Let's read Genesis 18 through 28. Genesis 18 through 28.
4: Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. For that reason, this distress has happened to us. And answered them, saying, Did I not tell you, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Now justice for his blood is required. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, but also to return every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. And, this was, and that is what was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. But when one of them opened a sack to give the donkey feed at the overnight campsite, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the opening of a sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and look, it is right in my sack. Then their hearts sank, and they turned, trembling to one another. What is this that God has done to us?
0: Yeah, and this is just fascinating and and really there's a lot to learn from it on the third day Joseph says to his brothers okay do this and live and he makes an interesting statement for i fear god and he uses the word elohim the name for god there is elohim for i fear elohim so what's the significance of this statement
4: he's an egyptian
0: who believes that Hebrew god well he's Egyptian who believes in a Hebrew God and who is Elohim to these men? Uh, Yeah? Have they been living like they feared God? They've been living in other ways. They have altered truths. They have they did evil to Joseph. Uh, They lied to their dad. I mean all of these things are going on. They're, They're living pretty much as though they are masters of their own fate but they don't seem to react to this statement but this would be a very odd statement for an Egyptian to make and it just goes right on by at least there's nothing recorded in their reaction Uh, it's interesting that Joseph brings up Elohim brings up God here because in verse 19 he says okay if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in prison. The rest of you go. Carry grain back to your household for the famine. And so he says, we're going to, we're going to take one. We're going to keep one, not nine like he said before. And uh, the rest of you will go home. You'll take the grain so that your families can eat. And then bring your youngest brother back in verse 20 so that we can see that your words were true and you will not die and uh so that is what they were going to do that was the plan why would yes sir could
2: joseph have been trying to demonstrate that god is merciful in the face
0: that these men were not well there's no question that before the story of joseph is done the mercy of god is shown by joseph to his brothers Um, a man living out of the normal emotions and things that we have would very rarely have let his brothers off like he did Uh, and so i don't know if joseph is saying i fear god meaning um, i'm going to be merciful out of the mercifulness of god or if he's just saying i'm going to live uprightly with you guys i fear god he's he's affirming god here god is the one that has preserved Joseph. God is the one that has put all these events together. Joseph has got to know that these dreams came from God and put him in the position to interpret them so that God can continue to work Joseph into the position God wants him in. Joseph certainly uh, worked diligently and honestly and put his very efforts into everything he did, but the scriptures make it clear, and I think Joseph had to know this, that the reason he was continually successful was because what? God was with him. And so he just testifies about God here to his brothers but uh, uh, he still goes ahead with this plan he's working on to get Benjamin to him. Now one of the things that I was going to ask about was why do you suppose he sent him away with all the grain? Why didn't he withhold the grain until until they could bring Benjamin? He's thinking about I got family at home starving, uh, and so this is a, this is Joseph trying to help take care of them. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He doesn't want them to die from starvation while he's here wrestling around verbally with his brothers to get things taken care of, and so uh, this plan is we're going to keep one and. Uh, you can bring your youngest brother back to me, and that's what they plan to do. And then we get to verse 21. And to me, I'm so glad these things are included. Um, Then they said, the brothers, to each other, and they're doing this in Hebrew. We're going to find out in a little bit later in the verse that Joseph has been working through an interpreter, which Joseph then is maintaining his disguise by not letting them know he can understand them or speak to them directly. So the brothers have this conversation apparently in Hebrew and they talk about what's going on. Truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. So what are they beginning to say with regard to why they're having this trouble in Egypt? Are they blaming Joseph? Now, what are they blaming?
1: Themselves.
0: (laughs) Themselves. This is a really good picture of guilt. When we understand who we are and we know we're guilty in the face of God, we look at things and go, is this happening because of my guilt before God, my sin? And Reuben gets in the game and said, did I not tell you don't sin against the boy and you wouldn't listen? So they're having a little argument there about whose fault all this is and Reuben's accusing the other nine of not following his lead that he asked for because he said now comes the reckoning for his blood which is an interesting statement did they know Joseph was dead or alive? Well they know when they last saw him he was what? Alive but now they're talking about reckoning for his blood as though he might very well be dead of course, they didn't know. Of course, verse 23, according to verse 23, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. And then, verse 24, this discussion that he overhears and the events and everything else uh, begins to affect him. And maybe he learned something that he didn't already know. Go back to Genesis 37. Let's read 18 through 24. This is the discussion that they're having about what to do with Joseph, or at least a piece of it. And so let's see how this conversation played out. Genesis 37, 18 through 24.
1: They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty there was no water in it
0: okay so let's let's talk about that just a minute. Reuben just got through saying in this passage where he's telling them you I tried to lead you in a good direction, but you you weren't going to have it he said uh, um." Did I not tell you do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Well, if we do a, the, the modern phrase for it is fact check on Reuben. Is that what he said? Don't harm him. Well, so, sorta. Of, don't don't kill him. But but that's not all he said, was it? What else did he say? Well, we we get we get the we get the plan in the that's in his head. He intends to take him out of the pit and take him home but that's not what he says to his brothers yeah so he's still you know let's throw him in the pit so he probably what his brothers heard during that encounter he's kind of overstating that it seems to me to some extent when they're having this discussion in front of Joseph but that might might be I don't know if Joseph heard that at the time or if this is new information to him but uh, he hears this conversation and after that the events have been coming together he's probably been pretty emotionally um, tense talking to his brothers and making the accusations and all of these things in verse 24 he turned away from them and wept so this is a getting to Joseph's emotions a bit and what was he crying over? What was he weeping about? I mean we don't know. There's so many things it could be. Just seeing them again, the emotions involved. It could also be rehearing the things that they're talking about it takes him back to that day he was captured by them and mistreated. But when he returned in the last part of verse 24 and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So now He's starting to take some action. He turns and speaks to them again. Don't know what he said. But he had Simeon taken and bound him up. Why did Joseph pick Simeon as the one to be kept as hostage? Any thoughts on that?
1: Wasn't Simeon kind of the ringleader?
0: Well, (laughs) he was one of the two ringleaders when they raided the city after... Dinah, Dinah's encounter. Um, he was the second oldest. So Reuben showed repentance as the oldest, then maybe he went to the next oldest. Um, yeah, Reuben um, is the one, it, it, it had shown some repentance, and Reuben is also the one that said, Hey, I told you don't harm him, but you wouldn't listen. Did that turn Joseph's uh, attention away from the firstborn? Uh, Reuben also, we had received, you know, we studied Reuben a little bit in his own personal repentance. Maybe God moved him away. But he goes to Simeon, the secondborn. And I wouldn't want to say I know for sure why, but it looks like he passed by Reuben, maybe because of this speech, maybe because of what he saw, maybe because of God's direction, as Reuben w- had taken some responsibility. For his own sin. Um, And so here they were. um, And Joseph took Simeon. And kept him as hostage. And then in verse 25. uh, Joseph ordered that. Okay fill their grain sacks. Also give every man's money in his sack. Oh and give them provisions for the journey. And so he, he really heaps it on them. He sells them the grain, gives them their purchase price back, but also makes sure they have food for the journey in addition, and all of that was done for him. Of course, it's going to be. Joseph's number two man in Egypt. He tells the servants to do this, and that's what they did. In verse 26, They loaded up their caravan of donkeys with the sacks of grain and departed. You know, These are ten guys trying to buy enough food for families at home and so on. We're not given any picture of what their caravan might have looked like, but I think caravan is going to be the right word. There's going to take a number of donkeys to carry that much back. And so uh, in they, they take out, in verse 27, they stop to feed the animals. We don't know which one, but one of them opened his sack for donkey feed and saw the money in the mouth of the sack. And uh, he said to his brothers in 28, my money's returned. It's in my sack. Now, their hearts sank. Why? It says they were trembling. Why? They look like thieves. They look like thieves. Now we're not just going to be considered spies. We have theft to put upon our shoulders. <clears throat> and obviously, who did it to them? Joseph, or Egyptians somewhere along the line. Maybe if it wasn't Joseph, it would be hard to believe it wasn't Joseph because they wouldn't have said Joseph. They would have said Pharaoh's man there, um, called him by his Egyptian name, which I can't say, let alone remember. Um, But they're scared. But they don't talk about anybody in Egypt, do they? What's their question to each other? Do they know they're guilty in front of God, and they can't escape it? Everything that happens that's not just uh, wonderful or anything that causes concern, God's after us. And we may not realize it, and they probably had no real reason to think of doing this in the normal course of the world, but they missed a huge opportunity back when they were talking to Joseph, they could have been honest and said, yeah, we sold one of our brothers into slavery. I mean, they're still covering up their sin. Now, they couldn't know they were covering it up to the one they actually sinned against, but that would have been an opportunity that they didn't take, and it didn't surprise God that they didn't take it. And so here they are feeling their guilt in front of God. Now let's read Genesis 42:29 through 38, which is the end of the chapter.
3: When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told them all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are, the, we are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are the honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in this in his sack, and when the father saw that their bundles of money saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them you have bereaved me of my children Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you would take Benjamin all this has come against me and Then Reuben said to his father kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you But he said my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make you would bring my soul or sorry you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrows to Sheol
0: Yeah, so they get home to Jacob and Canaan. And they tell him all about it. Do they tell him the whole story? Do they tell him about their conversation they had in front of Joseph? Do they tell him about their thoughts about who they were afraid of when they found money in the first sack? Oh, God's out to get us because of our sin. No, they're still covering sin in every way they can. So they tell him what they believe correctly so by the way joseph or jacob will believe and so they told him about the story they say this man the lord the master um in egypt spoke harshly with us and he took us to be spies but we defended ourselves we said we're honest man we're not spies and they mentioned that there were 12 brothers the sons of their father once no longer alive this is what they told joseph and the youngest is with our father in Canaan. Now this is far from the whole story, isn't it? If they're really going to start being truthful with Jacob, they're going to have to go back clear to the point that they mistreated Joseph, and they're not headed in that direction. And in verse 33, this man said to test us that he would keep one brother, but we would take the grain back... to take care of the famine in our own households, so go. But, in verse 34, they tell Jacob, we have to bring our youngest brother back in order to prove that we're not spies and that we really are honest men. And then when we do that, he promised, he would give us not only Simeon back, but then we would be free to trade in the land. And as they're emptying out the sacks, they have a further shock. Not just was one person's money returned, every man's money was in the sack. And they're all dismayed, they're all afraid, because this puts them in a really bad spot. They have to know what they're going to face when they get back to Egypt if they go back. And what are they going to face? You guys are thieves. And so they are concerned about what it would mean to make that trip back. And Jacob makes it clear where he stands on all this. You, he's not very happy with his boys, is he? Well, he's happy with one of them. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? And he says, all these things are against me. And it's interesting that he puts Joseph at their charge. Why would he might be put Joseph at their charge, even though they've never told him what really happened? Yeah, Joseph was supposed to be out there and check up on the brothers and kind of be messenger boy, maybe do some tasks. We don't really know what his role was going to be when he got there. But they didn't make sure that he arrived and came back safely. So maybe maybe Jacob is putting that at his feet. Certainly, he's not happy about what happened with Simeon. Could those brothers have done anything differently than they did? Well, I'm sure they could have done something different, but would it have been any better of outcome? I have no idea. Uh, but nonetheless, Jacob is laying this at their feet. And he looks at them with doubt about their abilities and says, I'm not gonna, now you want to take Benjamin. And Reuben's got a great answer. Uh, and he, so he says to Jacob, well, let me take him. I'll guarantee you, I'll get, I'll get Benjamin down there and back, and he'll be fine. And if I fail, you can kill my two boys. <laughs> what is Reuben thinking in this? Do you suppose? How serious he
2: was, maybe.
0: Well, he's, he he probably was very serious. He probably wanted to be su- successful as the oldest. Here he is with the responsibilities. Um but one of the things he could have says look there's 10 of us surely we can get him down there and back safely actually there's nine of them now but do you think reuben reuben isn't showing a lot of confidence in his brothers is he you know i'll take care of it i can do it they might not be able to but i can and i'll take responsibility for it maybe what else might reuben be thinking how many granddads would consider this a valid threat if their son came and said I'm going to do this for you and if I fail you can kill your two grandkids. Now we don't know what the family um, affections were and all of that but he might have thought well this is a pretty safe thing no matter what happens he's not going to kill the two grandkids. Maybe not don't know but that was a kind of a kind of a wow offer I mean. How's that going to make Jacob feel better if Reuben fails with the youngest brother with getting Benjamin there and back? Jacob is clear in verse 38. My son shall not go down to Egypt with you. His brother's dead, which was Rachel's only other son. He alone is left. What did Jacob just tell the other boys? Well, you're my boys, but Benjamin's the only one that's really left that out, of, out of that situation. I mean, there's, there's some clear favoritism here, it seems like to me. And Jacob goes on to say, if he's harmed on the journey, you're going to bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. It would make me so sad it would kill me. I could never recover from that kind of a loss. And that's Jacob's final word for now on what to do with Benjamin. So let's take a look. What are we left with at this point? What's the situation as we close out chapter forty two?
2: They're not gonna be able to go back to Egypt at all.
0: They so what are they thinking what are they thinking about Simeon's future? He's history. He's history. We wrote him off. How would you like to be Simeon? I mean, of course, I would you like to be Joseph? But anyway, we're, we're you know, we, we're not going to worry about Simeon. What else? They're still in a famine. They're still in a famine. Well, it depends. I mean, at this point, we don't know what they're thinking about food. Maybe they're hoping that the crop will go ahead and come in somewhere. Maybe who knows what. And who knows how much, I mean, they might have brought back a lot of food from Egypt. Maybe it looked like enough that surely we this will be enough to outlast the famine. What else? This is the first time we see it in the story of Joseph. But what are the... I'm going to say nine brothers that are home, but you could probably include Simeon. What are they feeling about their situation in the world? A lot of guilt. They got a lot of guilt, God, uh, to get us. We have sinned, and there's a price to pay for our sin. Has that price been paid yet? Well, Simeon's getting his, so to speak. But the brothers are still out here living lies trying to evade the penalty of sin. In their mind, the difficult things that have happened have been because of their sin. Now here's an interesting question. Think a minute. Are these difficult things happening because of their sin?
2: No, it's all part of God's plan.
0: Well, okay. Okay. Or maybe we could say, yes. And God is killing, using a phrase, poorly probably, killing two birds with one stone. He's showing them their own guilt and still accomplishing his plans in moving the folks, the household of Jacob to Egypt. Um, As we look at these events, we get an entirely... Different picture as they're written down for us to read, as we would have if we were living through it. Let's say that we were one of Joseph's servants and he said, Pack up the grain, put their money, in. I mean, we would see all of the events happening. Would we perceive what's really going on here? No. And we could transpose that kind of reality to a lot of other places. Did Job know what was why things were happening to him? After God met with him, after God recovered him, did he know why those things happened? If you recall, Job asked God some questions, and how did God answer those? Do you remember? Who are you? Were you there when I... And Job really, we get the story, we get the picture because of the inspired writing shows us what's going on in the background. And yet if you were Job, I mean, I, I, I could never feel okay about saying what, the way that Job's wife reacted was, was alright but it was understandable in a sense it did show a lack of faith in God but why are all these things happening I mean it just it would be baffling it would be it was tough for Job and yet God was saying Job was one of his greatest servants and so here are these things going on and they don't even get to see too much about what's going on Joseph gets it gets pieces of it at least does Joseph right now know that God's goal is to move his family to Egypt for 400 years? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know what Joseph knew, and I don't want to act like I know. But as we look at the events in the Old Testament here, it's a grand story. It's a grand account of how God works. Joseph, honestly, is one of my top three or four favorite people to look at in the Bible because of how he took the things that came to him that were very difficult your brothers throw you in a pit sell you as a slave you go do a great job for Potiphar but his wife harms you and you get thrown in jail and in jail you do a great job you even have the opportunity and correctly by God's grace interpret two dreams for men One isn't going to have a chance to help you, but the other one just plain forgets you. And then you find yourself finally getting past all those difficulties and you're raised up to be the second man in all of Egypt. But I just admire Joseph for hanging in there. And it's clear from his comments, I don't deserve to be here. That's what he tells the cupbearer. I didn't do anything to land in this spot. And yet he endures it, serves God, trusts God, God's with him. Um, And so when I look at, I get frustrated with things around me, and I need to stop and say, wait a minute. I don't know what God's doing here. Let's wait and see. I may never know, but let's not get distraught like somehow God lost control of this world. God maintains his control at every step and at every turn. His purposes will always be done. And it may not be explainable to us and we may know never know this side of heaven and I have no idea what God's going to choose to reveal to us in heaven. He might go, you weren't worth telling before and you're still not. Enjoy being in heaven. I don't know what he's going to say. But nonetheless, it's just an amazing set of events that's occurring. And you can see here, Joseph is being having the opportunity to be reunited with his brothers in a bit of a way. And uh, he's playing it out. And we'll have the privilege of kidding to see how it works its way through the next few chapters. Questions, comments? Yes. Um, It just goes to show
4: you that well, it's my sin. Um, My my sin shouldn't affect anybody, but actually your sin can affect other people. And,
0: but God still had a purpose my Yes, God can use our sinfulness. Does that mean we should relax about being sinful? Absolutely not. But, but you make a point that is very good. With regard to my own sins, I have seen many people who, with regard to that sin, there's nobody in this world innocent, but I've seen innocent people harmed by my sin. They didn't deserve the troubles that came because of my sin. And I've also seen many other people who sin in ways that affect many other people. And sin has an effect. And we ought not miss for a second that these boys are still living out lies and they're being crushed in certain ways by the guilt of those lies. And repentance is the only path to deal with the guilt of sin. You can't lie. You can't sin your way out of sin. You can't lie your way out of sin. It isn't what you convince the people around you of, it's what you know in your own heart and your relationship to God Himself. And they've got something to square up, and that's going to come before we're done, at least to some extent. All right. Well, let me pray. Father, um, you do work in this world. It's a pleasure for me. Uh, very encouraging to me to see how you worked in Joseph's life. And Lord, it's even encouraging to me to see how you dealt with this family full of deceit and corruption. Um, Lord, I pray today that you would open our eyes to our own sins and call us to deal with our own sins through repentance, through confession to you that the guilt and the memory of that sin from your perspective can be wiped away that you won't hold it against us thank you lord for sending your son jesus christ to pay our sin debt and pray that each of us would choose to lay all of our sins at your feet it's in jesus name we pray amen